Welcome to Breaking the Underdog Curse for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. We give vitalistic chiropractors a chance to learn from the best around the world, discovering how they overcame their challenges and achieved success. In order for chiropractic to thrive, we must have thriving chiropractors. Now listen up, it's time to crush the curse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Underdog Curse for Chiropractors, Keeping the Nervous System in Chiropractic. That's one of the taglines we're trying, we're testing to see how it goes. Today, my lovely wife, Brandy McDonald, gets to join us, and this is our holiday special. We did this last year, and it's the week before um, Christmas, and so Merry Christmas, everyone, um, and Merry Christmas, honey. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, honey. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yes, we, uh, it's been a year, just over a year you've had the podcast, right? And so we did our first Christmas special last year, and it was our, our, our states of the union tend to be quite popular, so I guess we'll, we'll keep doing them. Yeah, and I think it's just like anybody, you know, we're at the end of the year, so everybody's kind of reflecting on last year and, uh, you know, uh, going through people's challenges, going through people's learnings, and then also setting up uh, plans uh, for 2019 because you know the, next, the new year's coming up and we want to be ready for the new year. Uh, you know we don't want last year to be exact same as this year. We always want to learn from our our, our uh, mistakes and and hit the ground running going into 2019. So today um, we are going to go over the five top learnings that we have discovered working with uh, the chiropractors in the in the engine. So this year I think we've done the most amount of one on one work that we've ever done in our whole career. Right, hon? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, and so what we thought we'd do is just kind of break down the five top learnings that are kind of commonalities between all the people we worked with. And then a lot of you listeners out there, you guys can kind of implement this stuff and kind of learn from the summary of, of the stuff that we've learned throughout the year. So, my dear, how was your experience working with all of those lovely turbo shifters this year? Well, and I think it, it's not just the turbo shifters. I think we, they're just a illumination of the profession at large in our brand. And they just happen to be working with us individually. But I mean, we've, we've been to enough places. I, I certainly have been to enough countries, been to enough with enough chiropractors over the last eight years that this is not, they're not, it's not unique because they're turbo shifters. It just happens to be, we happen to know them, I would say. So, Let's go on number one. So the very first thing that we were talking about that was one of our first learnings was... Our top learning, I guess, yeah. Our top learning was people don't actually want what they say they want. Yeah. Expand on that. <laughs> totally. But what more is there to say? No. <laughs> Do you really... I think what was most, what's most interesting is that a lot of people think they want something. Um, or they think they, sh they should want it. Um, so they set all of their processes and goals and outcomes around something that they're unwilling to do what it takes to get. And that means you don't want it. And so it seems, it seems quite harsh. Like when people hear that, they, they defend to the death as to why they want something or why they think they should want it, or what benefit it's going to be for their lives if they get it, whatever that is, whether they see more people in their office, whether they make more money, whether they achieve a materialistic goal, whether they create a ritual for a healthier expression of who they are. Or whether they want to get in a relationship even. Whether they want to get in yeah. a relationship. Uh, there's a million things you can, you can create as an outcome but where the rubber hits the road and why, why most people don't actually meet their outcomes or their goals, and this is like going into where we're going to do resolutions and goal setting and all of those things that, uh, you know, we're sort of how not to set goals people, but we're going into that 2019. And yet, yet when the rubber hits the road, most people don't, don't do it. And then they beat themselves up as to why they don't do it and, or they, they half-ass do it and they piecemeal it and then they get sort of half-ass results and then they get frustrated. And then pretty soon we have this, we have frustration momentum. We don't have success momentum and then they just stop. And then four or five months later they do it again. And I mean, this is what happens in practice. This is what happens in, uh, you know, 
with people who want to see more people in their practice or want to see more new people in their practice or, you know, and, and they've, they've done this for 10 years or five years or whatever. I mean, this is, and there's no heat or judgment. And we did this for 10 years where it's just mm -hmm. a frustrating um, road to be on. But the thing, the thing about it is, is that you, you gotta, you have to actually want it. And it's actually quite freeing. It, it's funny how people are so emotionally tied to it that it is tough for them to let go of things that they thought they once wanted. And that's actually really been interesting because if you don't really want it, you just, you just, you just say, I don't want it. You know, so like if you, you just let it go and it frees up all of this energy for you to do something that you actually want. And the interesting thing about that is that people are so tied to this outcome, what it looks like that they don't realize that that amount of energy and investment into what the outcome looks like takes away from any opportunity for something else to even come into their psyche or experience because they're spending all this time on stuff they don't want. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's that, you know, a lot of when we look at, now it's, it's not should you, you know, should you be healthier? Yeah, probably. <laughs> should you serve more people? Yeah, probably. You know, could you make more money? Yeah. But like you don't want to. So it's, and, and then there's a, there's a huge amounts of, of judgment that comes along with the freedom of just saying you don't want to. It's not judgment from other people. You're judging yourselves because you've been so emotionally tied to the fact that that is absolutely going to be what you should be doing and what you should get. Mm -hmm. And it almost seems like at that point, you're more in love with the outcome than you are the process. Oh my God. And it's a fantasy of oh what God. it would be like. No, that's, the, that's part of the learning is people have no problem letting go of the work that it would take to get it. Mm -hmm. They can't let go of what it looks like. Right. If they're trying to double their practice, they can't get rid of that. They're, they're not willing to do what it takes to get there because to double your practice is such an amount of grind and work and consistency and time in and getting out there. That's, we're happy to let that go. <laughs> but in the back of our mind, we're still like, no, no, we're still going to double our practice. And that's actually where the frustration lies for a lot of people. Somebody, and somebody can't like, you know, for us, when we're working with people, I can't tell you what you want. I, but I can tell you what I can tell you. You don't want it because right. there's a, a, a consistency of not doing what you need to do over a period of time is very clear it's not part of your priority mm -hmm. and and so if we look at practice growth you know that comes along with with you know consequences every choice we make has a consequence and i think that's you know you, you can't you can't want to have a lifestyle but not want to do the grind and hustle it takes to build your practice that is the biggest incongruency we have you know you can't have the freedom you have with your family when you work 23 hours a week and you have a certain you know, structural issue, how many people you can see, and you want to live a lifestyle that would require seeing more than that to support that, but you're not willing to work any more hours than that. Well, you can't have both. It's and this, this goes right for people. And this goes right back to practice members who uh, want to have amazing results and improve function, but not fall through the care plan. Right. Or so have cause and effect. Yeah. yeah. Totally. So as much as, as much as we in our practice say, we're the communicators of cause and effect to our practice members i guess through what we're doing with the shift and a lot of what what i do on social media is the, the communicator of cause and effect with the behaviors and the choices you make in your life and there, that comes with people having a i always think of the um was a little dinosaur guy a little dinosaur guy who's a little like tackles come up <laughs> oh like in in uh, jurassic park yeah but what's yeah. the name of that dinosaur it's like know, Velociraptor or something like that, or I don't know. The Velociraptor, right? Like the little, like the yeah. little hackle guys come up, right? Because so they look like, cute. No, no, because they look kind of cute. They look kind of cute, and, and yeah. then they like their little things come up behind their ears, and they're yeah. about to attack you. They're not. They're, I call them hackles, but they're kind of like the hackles come up. So, so if you know if somebody's if, if you know you get asked, you know, do you want this? And your hackles come up to such a degree, and you feel like you have to defend it, but then you have to defend why you're not doing what you do. I don't really know that you want that. I don't know that you've been able to sit down and go and then look at like, is anything, is, is anything missing then? Because I think what people think is if I don't get it, there's a loss there somewhere. 
and there's not. It just shows up somewhere else. It means that you are more fulfilled in some other area. Often it's with our family or with our kids or with hobbies that we do or with our rest time or our relaxed time or whatever. That's more important to us than the grind and hustle would take to double your practice. That doesn't, you don't have, to have your hackles up and defend that. Mm-hmm. It's such, when, when you can just own what you want and filter it through your belief system and your physiology and just know that that's really where you sit and you're okay with it, then you also have a responsibility to not complain about the consequences of those choices. And that's where the incongruency lies because you can't then, yeah, you know what? Financially, you might, you can't do the trip to Europe and you can't do first class maybe and you can't buy the house you want and perhaps it comes along with some financial considerations, but you don't want that. You think you want it. You think it would be a nice idea. So, so that's where people get really, really confused, I think. And, and much of what we say we want is, is filtered through, I think, the eyes of what we either have been learned that we should have or that somebody, you know, we look around at others and we look at them and we go, oh, that's, that looks really cool, so let's do that, right? But, but it's not really who we are. And so there's a, there's a bunch of freedom to that, which is interesting. And as we, as we make people write goals, as we call them, you know, and go through lists of, you know, getting everything on paper of what they'd ever want. Some of that, as time goes on, you look at that, you're like, did you, did you really want that? Mm-hmm. And when you don't really want it, you're like, okay, I'm good. Which is pretty cool. Well, and part of that, that the freeing is just pruning that pruning process where you just prune off the stuff that you've always thought you should do, but it's just like an open loop in your brain and it just keeps dragging slowly on the energy. And so, so that's the nice thing too. And, and we'll talk a little bit probably about sacrifice on this, this uh, point as well, is that when you, are you willing to sacrifice those things? Because by sacrificing those or pruning those things off, it actually frees up energy to put more into what you actually do want. Yeah. People, people think one of the questions we ask is, you know, what are you willing to sacrifice? And it's funny because people are, are, will tell you what they won't sacrifice, like what they won't sacrifice. It's the automatic response from everybody is I'll just tell you what I won't sacrifice. Okay. Well, if you're going to be able to identify what you actually will sacrifice, because the thing about success, whatever it is, whatever that is for you is it's a matter of, shedding we call it and i call it sacrifice there are things that have to be sacrificed to get a different result period and you never have to ask yourself what you're not going to sacrifice because we're very clear on those things what we're not clear on is what we will sacrifice because it comes with a sacrifice of time and money and uh focus focus and hobbies and you know, yeses and belief systems and relationships. There are things that have to be sacrificed for you to get a different result, whatever that looks like. And when you start to identify those, they're they're helpful in the process of what would it take, what would I need to do to get there? So we we don't, often in our group, we're not asking people necessarily tell me what your goals are. I'm like, I'm interested. But what I really ask is I'm like, tell me what you would have to do to get that. What would you need to do? And if you sat down and you actually looked at what you would need to do on a day by day, week by week basis and do it all the time, every time consistently, Mm -hmm. you're starting to be able then to see what you'd have to sacrifice. Then you start to go, are you willing to do that? And if the answer is no, kill it. I mean, our story I, I've told two or three times in our program is in our, with our group, our mentorship group is that, you know, I can remember when we were building our practice, like we tripled in 18 months and then we're going like 300, 400, 500, like we're starting to build this massive practice. And I was gunning for a thousand a week. I loved being in a practice like that. And <laughs> I'd forgotten that number one, people are coming in to see me. So no matter how amazing I am, I'm not the chiropractor. And the limitation to my goal was you. Because you were like, we got to a certain level and you're like, I do not want this. Okay? I'm like, never going to see a thousand a week. I'll say, call off the dogs. 
<laughs> I don't want to see that many people a week. I don't enjoy it. I, it's not fun for me. I'm, I'm burning myself out. I'm like, it's physically hard on like all the things. It, man, that took me probably two years. So although I said, okay, I really was very disappointed. And I, and it, but to let go of that idea that I had, which, which for me, yes, it was a number, but it really was about the size of the practice at the time that I thought of the impact we could have on the people because that's all we did was practice at that time. I hadn't wrapped my brain around the fact that we had something to offer other people where, you know, today I would say we influence probably tens of thousands of people in the community, much more than your hands could lay on and much more than my mouth and mind could communicate with in our four walls. At the time, I didn't think about that, that, that the form of that at that time. I only knew that one way. So in order for me to let that go, and it, it was a huge burden for a long period of time because I was so attached to that outcome. And, but once I became detached to it, oh my God, did, did things not change dramatically for the practice? Oh yeah, it just got way less. Well, again, it just was less stress and, and, and then I got more comfortable too, because it just has to be being a, a people pleaser. Like, and yeah, it's great because you always want to surround yourself with people who have a higher vision for you. Uh, but if it's, if it's a higher vision for you that you don't want, and then you then you kind of feel bad because you feel like you're disappointing them, right? Because you're like, you'd like to do it, but it, it might kill you in the process. But, <laughs> but, but, but I mean, some people might want, again, yeah. some people might want that. Some people, don't. we, you, you just didn't want it. Today, today I can see why that was a natural, had to be a natural progression for us. Yeah. Because what we needed to do was work less hours, become way more streamlined, way more efficient, still see a large volume of people so that we then had the freedom to touch more people, which ultimately was the ripple effect of how those people now go on and see their people and like that. But at the time, I couldn't have known that. Mm -hmm. And that could never have come in any reality for us to, to be able to set goals around while we were fixated on that. And you were fixated on that for a period of time until you got up there to a certain, to those higher numbers and realized then, ah, no thanks. Well, and I think too, on the other aspect, because again, this isn't a common problem that we, we find going around in the profession. Like there's the odd person that has that problem. No, but no, no. Okay. I'm sure. Like well, that's like about 2% of the profession. Yeah. But like what I did find was at the beginning, I did what I had to sacrifice and what I had to, to not do was I played, I played like basketball twice a week. I played hockey all the time. I went out and had beers with my buddies like once every single Thursday night. Like um, there was stuff that I did in my lifestyle that was only, I was only able to do when I was seeing the lower volume, when I was kind of stagnant for the first five years of practice. Yeah. And in order to, like I said, we always use that analogy of, of when you, you, a chiropractor is a high, as a professional athlete, um, when you're in there, like, and I've had practice members come up to me too. They say, holy cow, like you have to be so focused for the whole shift. And, and you're going, you, you know, you'll go to, you know, you'll go to one table and this person, like their, their, their wife just got diagnosed with cancer and you go to this next table. And then this person's like, just got a, a, a raise at their job and they're happy. And, and, you know, you're kind of going back and forth and you have to be in the moment and you, and you need to connect with every single person at that time. And that takes a tremendous amount of energy, which we need to sacrifice other things in our life and getting to bed early too. That's another thing too. Again, just stay up and watch hockey games late at night. I, like on those long days, I'm making sure I'm getting to bed early. Like it's, it's, those are the things that if you don't do, you totally do burn out because as your practice raises, but you don't ha uh, have that, you know, that self care behind you. Uh, you just, it's just, you can't sustain it. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, as much as possible, we try to like use our experience so that people can look around the corner, but we know most people they have would to rather it. like bumble around the corner by themselves and, and they go, oh, yeah, I think I heard that somewhere, which is basically what we did again. But I mean, yeah, I, we got warned about all that stuff. We, we got warned about all that too. And we just ignored everybody and we're like, okay, whatever. Let's just find the most expensive, painful way to learn these lessons ourselves, which is what we did. So our hope is that like one of you out there doesn't do that. I don't know. That's our hope. But you know, I see this with our, our young doc, I see it with other young docs, is that they don't quite understand sacrifice yet. And, and, and when they're not in a business ownership position, um, really, they don't need to, right? There's a whole level of freedom that comes with that. But again, 
every choice has a consequence. So that comes with the consequence of not being a business owner, right? There's all these benefits. So I think what we do is we, we, we over um, promise the benefits of a goal or an outcome. And we, we like, cause that's really the excitement that we're seeking. But what we don't do well then is look at the cost, the sacrifice it takes to get it. We underestimate and we don't the cost talk about, what's that? We, under, we underestimate the cost and sacrifice that it takes to get it. Yeah. And because we do that, the emotion that comes with the high of periodically ringing, dinging that bell of getting stuff, we never look at what it took. And that's why it, the sustainable results of that are so low. You know, we know that the average chiropractor is under 100 a week, which is 80 to 110 people a week. And for most people we work with, that's not where they want to be. Mm-hmm. And they have capacity in their current hours to probably double that if they want it. Yeah. If they want it. Now I'm talking about people who want this. So don't send me hate mail and tell me how you don't want to see you want it. You love seeing 50 a week. I don't need your hate mail. I'm talking about people who want something different or say they want something different. But the question is, do they want it? And the same can be said with your practice members with health. Like we expect them to value that. They don't. We get frustrated. So funny, we're frustrated in our practices with the public, yet in our own lives, we're doing the same behavior. It just looks different Mm -hmm. to some degree. So I think the question is like, do you want it? How do you know if you want it? You just filter it through your experience and Feel everything I do is about filtering it through what it feels like in your physiology. Because if you sat down and looked at what would it take to get it, that's the question you start asking yourself. Not what do I want? Yeah. What would it take for me to get it? What would I have to do? And would I be willing to do that consistently? Mm-hmm. If, if it's a bit overwhelming or it makes you feel sick to your stomach or you, you're like, I, I can't see that as happening, then you don't really want it. Mm-hmm. Or, or sometimes you might just need help. Uh, you might need to surround your, well, again, we'll talk about that later, but you almost might need extra help in, in your practice. For example, getting like a, if you're um, more of a lab personality, you might need to just be around a little bit more of a driver personality just to kind of help you get over the edge. Cause sometimes we need a little bit of coaching or a little encouragement because we just have a hard time to drum it up by ourselves. Yeah. If you want it. Yeah. If you want it. But first you got to decide that because the most frustrating thing that, that as mentors, and is to mentor somebody around something they don't want because it doesn't matter what advice you have what program you buy what coach you hire what (laughs) online uh, information you get what book you read when you don't want it now you've got a whole creation of strategies around things you don't want and then you don't get it and then guess what happens then you complain about the content or the coach or the program or the seminar but you never really wanted it so that's that's really the crux of why a lot of this is unsustainable because it's not a lack of information for people. It's a matter of going somewhere in their life. They already have it. They don't want, it's already there. They're not losing anything. And they, the, the sacrifice it would take to get it at this point, it doesn't mean forever. It just means at this point, they're unwilling to do it. And then they can put their energy towards the other things that they want, which again, become way more successful in their outcomes when you have sort of that finite energy driven towards things that you actually do want. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, uh, that brings us to the next point, uh, step number two, or the th- the second learnings that we had from 2018, um, was the 80% c- consumption, 20% production oh, yeah. and how we want to flip that. Can you explain that to the listeners? Well, I, we found this, I, I've, I mean, I, you know, a lot of your listeners probably don't follow me on Facebook, but I mean, I've written about this a million times. The shifters know this. We, we're one of the, oh, yeah. we're one of the consumption uh, programs as we found I, in I our shift. At parts, I might've been hundred percent consumption, zero percent production. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I mean, this is how much data and information we're taking in. So we're consuming so much information and our production on the other end is so low mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's almost pathological with access of information now because at a touch and for free, we can get it. And what we found is that when we combined everybody's uh, consumption, like, first of all, probably like about a million millions of dollars worth of, of products, books, coaching, seminar, travel programs, like 
like it was, it's insane really. And, and at some point each, each sort of program, seminar, coach, product gave them something. Um, but then there was always something new at the end of it. And so, and it's more than the, you know, a lot of people consider, they say they're like the shiny ball chaser or the glitter chaser. It's, it's, it's even more than that. It's deeper than that. It's even people who aren't that, that just feel this intense need for, if I just get enough information, then I'm going to be okay. So it's almost created a drug for our anxiety. And what I've found is that, it, you know, it's, it sorts out a little bit of the anxiety for somebody for a period of time, because then they don't have to do anything. Because when you are consuming information, you're not actually in action. So it sorts out the anxiety for this small period of time where you feel a bit better, because you're, you're tricking the brain into thinking you're doing something because you're consuming information. But you're actually not doing anything. And so imagine if we could swap that and you were 80% production and 20% consumption, which again, back to our first learning, you got to want that. Yeah. And the two can't live in the same reality together because you can't consume and do action at the same time. So those two can't live in the same plane together. And so you know, if you could imagine all the data and information you have and actually put it to work, which requires a plan of action and picking out, you know, nobody has the perfect program. Nobody's the perfect coach. Nobody's the perfect seminar, you know, online, there's a million things. So you got to pick out and filter what, who you are and, and what resonates with you. And then you had a plan around and imagine what, what the impact would be for your practice or for your life or whatever it is that you're, you're wanting to get a different result. And I think you talk a lot about the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Because, you know, we can, we can keep learning stuff, but until we actually apply it and then get feedback, um, we can't learn from it. And we also can't make it our own because the, the, the truth of the matter is everybody's going to practice slightly different. That's like even chiropractic, you know, even for technique wise, we have Thompson, Gonstead, all those different ones, which they took the information they got and then they, and then they tried it and then they, tweaked it and changed it. And a lot of chiropractors who've been in practice for like, you know, five, 10, 20 years realize they've created their own technique because that's what they've done with your, with your adjusting technique is you've taken the knowledge, you took it in and then you, you used it and then you tweaked it because you got feedback and that that's the difference between the wisdom. So maybe tell a little bit about, about that, the, the knowledge and wisdom. Well, we're just, I always say we're data, we're data smart and we're wisdom dumb because we have so much knowledge um, and data, but that doesn't become wisdom in your soul until you can have an experience with it. Mm -hmm. And it's the experience and the feedback from our environment that creates our wisdom. It's the memories that don't own us, but that they, they guide us because we learn from them. And, and really wisdom is, is our resiliency is built when we build wisdom because what happens is we have an experience and we then look at that experience after it's over in retrospect and we have a learning from that and that learning from that then changes hopefully changes how we behave and what we do and how we choose our relationships and how we practice and and then we go on to the next experience because that life is just this accumulation of a bunch of experiences and so that's how our wisdom is built and it's it, it's actually incredible how little wisdom most of us have today because we haven't really asked or looked for the feedback from our environment. And, and because we have so much data, there's actually a, a massive amount of fear for people to apply the data today. So, cause, because they, they, they are afraid of what the feedback from the environment is going to be, or they're altered from some experience in the past. So therefore they don't want to do it again, which again, doesn't create wisdom either. So then we just sort of stay paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of the chiropractors we work with and a lot of our practice members who are in sort of life altering situations in a paralysis state and not because wisdom also is where your esteem is built. Because when you have wisdom, you have that old soul, you know, you're going to be okay. You know, you're resilient you know you're plastic, you know you're going to learn and change and adapt. That's wisdom. 
when you don't know that because you haven't had enough experiences because you haven't applied the data and you haven't been knocked down enough times, you actually don't do it because you're afraid of that because you don't have that resiliency and strength internally to go, no, 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 I got, I, okay, this sucks, but I'll be okay. You don't have that. And it's so interesting because, you know, we got stuff going on in Canada and they got in Australia and UK. So we have all this thing called evidence-based, right? Evidence-based chiropractic, which means that if you, if someone studies it for you, and they validate that what you're doing is good. Yeah. And you just do what they tell you to do. Yeah. And then if that doesn't work, you refer them out. Yeah. Um, and so that doesn't really leave any room for wisdom because nope. you're only consuming actually instructions. So it's almost like being a chiropractor, like making um, cupcakes. <laughs> they give you like, yes. they just give you a, like a recipe. And then if that doesn't work, it just doesn't work. And so it, it, it's, you can see that fear of creating wisdom, which is kind of, you know, blanketed the whole profession. And that's why so many people are attracted towards the evidence base because it makes them feel better because they're afraid to try anything and get the feedback. Well, and they're in a culture that's told them that they don't have the ability to be able to use those experiences and adapt and change. So basically it's the difference between, um, uh, what's the show on TV where they, um, it's a cooking show. So there's this cooking show. I can't remember the name of it. And these master chefs, like master, they get three courses and every course is a box. And this box, they have no clue what's in the box. And there's crazy stuff in these boxes. Like they have to cook a dessert and there's pig's feet in it. So like this is the, like the level of bizarreness that's in these boxes. Like it's stuff people eat, obviously, but not me. But I mean, it's just such <laughs> weird stuff in here. And it's things you go, like, how would somebody even use that? These chefs, the reason they're masters is, yes, they may have originally learned how to make a cupcake with a recipe, because that's how you learn. But over a period of time, their wisdom, because they've had so many experiences with so much different food and so many ways to put it together and so many ways to know what goes with what and what doesn't go with what, it doesn't matter what you throw at them, they can adapt to it and they can create a masterpiece. That's not what evidence-based is. Evidence-based says we only have the one recipe and I validate it when you can prove to me you used half a cup of sugar and a cup of flour and you used two eggs, because if you put pig's feet in there, I don't care. I don't care if you have experience and you have case studies of people who love it. And we actually have research that says pig's feet, you could actually use that fat as a different fat. You could substitute it. But some people don't accept that as evidence. Right? <laughs> then, so that's the difference between the two. And, and in, in our world of, you know, where we live and keep it, you know, where there's tons, where we know that the nervous system is the core of chiropractic. We know we do affects the nervous system. We know that the distortion of the nervous system, the spine doesn't move properly, does impact somebody's well-being. We know all that. Yes, we know it from research, but you know what? A lot of us have a lot of wisdom in our practices. Mm -hmm. And you can't discard that wisdom. And what it's done is made us massively adaptable to Again, the courses of meals. You could throw you could throw a pig's feet at us and we'll make a dessert. That's like every new practice member that comes in is like a different box. Yes. And, we'll has do, all and, we'll, different still, and we'll still make an award-winning dessert because <laughs> we because we realize we're dealing with human beings. And there are some basics, right? And so I think where we're at is trying to sort out in chiropractic the basics versus all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And you can't cupcake recipe a human being. There are some things you can recipe along the way, obviously. If you don't have flour in certain things, it's not going to work out. So I think there is some basics with that, but the rest of it is really about applying enough experience to build that wisdom. And that's anything in life. And again, that goes back to, like, we talk about the, the actual the trifecta of research, which there actually no one talks about, which one is, is the chiropractor's knowledge, right? And the second is the is the practice member's experience yeah. and what the results they get under care. Yep. And like even when I did the interview with my uh, with Dr. Hall, uh, he he talks about then you take that 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 results the practice members get and then those uh, form the questions to right. do research. Right. 
just to get if more I information. If I can use pig's fat in a dessert, then I'm going to look at how does that possible. And if that means that, can I use other fats? Oh my God, I can. No, right. no kidding. I can use something other than butter. So like that, it's, that's how, I mean, in our world, we understand that. In right. the cupcake recipe world, we don't. So we fundamentally don't agree on that. But there's still, none of us are saying, oh, you can't use any form of flour to make a cupcake. Give me a break. You have to use some form of star, of, of flour of some kind, whether it's almond flour. Think about the 50 years ago, nobody even knew what almond flour was. But hey, I know, let's take some nuts and make some flour. So the change in evolution doesn't happen until people have enough wisdom to go, let's give this a go. Oh my God, let's research. Oh my God, we can do that. That's, that's incredible, right? So it's the same with our lives. So applying that against your wisdom is really where your um, intelligence, your emotional intelligence, the real intelligence of how you make decisions is built from. And that does not happen with consuming more data. It just doesn't. It, it happens in the production of applying what you know and then learning from it. Excellent. Now, number three, the third learnings we had from this year, from 2018, were uh, this is all about money. Priorities about money and the hidden secret of debt. <laughs> well, we did a money podcast, so I'm going to refer back to that. I mean, I think I think we talked. We did an entire podcast on money and. You know, we talked. So just just so people know, if you go back to uh, drdonmcdonald.com, you can look at you can look back at all the old episodes. Um, because I think in iTunes it only goes back twenty sessions. So go to the website oh, and you can look okay. at. So drdonmcdonald.com. Yeah. So um, so we won't recover. We won't re recover a bunch of the money stuff. But one of the things that we really found out, I guess we probably we should have known. I guess because it was us. But you sort of forget about when you're so far away from it now. And no one talks about it. And nobody talks about it is yeah. is the is the pathology of debt, and and of course it's 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 in it's the human condition. But we're working in chiropractic, so we're specifically talking about chiropractors. Um, debt, you know, it's amazing. I would say most people are in debt. And the degree and level of that debt depends on a whole bunch of stuff. But it, you know, even people that we admire and look up to and stand on stages, they have tons of debt. And nobody talks about it and debt debt chips away at your soul it's the only way I can put it and it's sort of it basically at night when you're sleeping it's like somebody sitting on your chest it's one of those things where there's such a weight on your chest and even though you can pretend to ignore it you can't ignore it and especially if you have, are drowning in student loans and it's compound interest and every month it's growing you're not actually chipping away at debt or you've now have a student loan and you decided in your infinite wisdom as well, you're going to buy a house. Oh yeah. And I think I'll buy a building and I think I'll buy a car and I'll get all this stuff. Now you've got all this debt and you're working 23 hours a week, seeing 80 people a week. Like the, the, it does, the math doesn't work and nobody talks about it. And there's a ton of shame behind debt. And I think it's because, you know, debt is a result of our own behavior. It's a choice equals a consequence. So we've created the debt. So because of that, there's a shame. And so when there's shame, when there's shame, it just, it just like, it's like a mushroom. It just lives and breathes in the dark and it just gets worse and worse. And then like, you know, you can't, you, you can't ever change it if you can't bring it to the light and talk about it. And it's, it's just pathological. And so as we look at people's finances, no matter how well they're doing in practice, we have yet to find somebody who doesn't have, no, I shouldn't say yet to find somebody, very few people have been able to really wrangle and lasso debt so that it doesn't control them. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I just go back to uh, learning number two about sacrifice. You, you, if you're gonna make a plan around debt, it's not complicated. Most people just don't wanna sit down. And at some point when they have to sit down, it's such a huge thing. It's spiraled so much out of control. It's like nauseating. And so it just seems like it, they just can't get their handle on it and they can't get their mind wrapped around it. So they don't even want to. Well, I think too, this goes a little bit back to uh, like delaying gratification, right? It goes the other way. So when we look at debt and, and you have a huge debt load, um, uh, that we, we, we overestimate what we could do in the short term because it makes you frustrated because you can't make a big dent in it in the short term. Because you have this massive debt and the interest is accumulating, um, 
you're only paying that principal off a little bit at the beginning. It's just like a mortgage, right? So usually at the very beginning of a mortgage, a huge amount of it is the interest and a little bit is the principal. Um, and then so sometimes in the back of your mind, you go like, why is it even worth paying it off then? Because I'm only just chunking off a little bit of the principal. But if you never start with that, you never get to the end where you're paying off most of the principal and just a little bit of the interest. Right. Um, so we, uh, we, we overestimate what we do in the short term and then get frustrated and stop. But we underestimate what we can do in the long term. So if you were actually to sit down and go, hey, you know, I let things get away from me. It's a little bit crazy. I'm creating a 25 or 30 year plan. And I know I'm not chunking off very much of that principle at the beginning, but I am chunking some of it off. But if you amplify that 30 years down the road, it gets yeah. paid off. Yeah. Um, now, when you go to sleep, you might be, you go from an, instead of being um, like giving up yeah. and, and feeling powerless to you could still, you'll be frustrated. Like you'll be frustrated. Like, damn, I'm, this sucker's taking a long time to paying off, but you are paying it off. Yeah. So there's just something that goes on in the back of your mind when you're actually making progress, even though it's small at the beginning. Yeah. But we have to think of it in the long term and, and be committed to it. It's just like practice. What are you willing to do for the long term? That's right. Well, and like, like, like number one, most people, we can't delay it. So we, that's why we buy all this stuff. The whole point of debt is because the world cannot delay gratification. Mm -hmm. So they want a house. They won't rent. They have to have a car. They have to pay for their adult kids. They have, like, there's so much stuff going on. Now, if you can afford that, meaning it's not putting you further and further in debt, that's great. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you, the reality of it is we know enough, we work with enough people to know that's simply not the case. There's a small percentage of people that can actually afford to do that. What most people are doing is they're putting it off. They're refinancing their house. They're refinancing their mortgages. They're pushing debt off going, well, maybe in 25 years, I'll write it off or it'll go like it, they, they don't pay their taxes. Like there's all this secrecy around it yeah they look really good i got nice houses and nice cars and and you know so it's um it, you know with the money i i'll just refer back to the money podcast i mean we again i don't we do not teach anything we haven't lived so we're not we're not sitting here saying uh we have debt okay we have zero debt we have two years left on a mortgage which is considered good debt so we'll be mortgage free by the time i'm like well under 50. So that's pretty damn good, considering we were drowning 20 years ago. But it took 20 years. That was 20 so our, years our plan, ago. Our plan was not, we just happened to wake up early. So if you're 40, it's going to take 25. You're going to be 65, but at least you're going to be able to retire. Well, and even halfway through that 20 years, I made a bad decision and lost. Right. Oh, yeah. And then we had to recover all that because we talked about that $120,000. So we yeah, so we, we refinanced our home for that. So there's, it's not that we've made awesome decisions either. But the difference, I guess, for us is we did make a commitment early on that we're not going to, um, we're, we're, we're going to resist the urge to live beyond our means, which meant, you know, unless other than the investment decision, which again, we talked about this on money podcasting. It seems like it's too good to be true. It's usually too good to be true. Mm -hmm. But you know that, that however you invest in, you've got to go, well, what impact would that make? Now, a, a debt plan is really not hard. It's a budget. It's a budget and you sit down and you look at every single penny that comes in and goes out. Most people don't do this. And then you go, if, and if you're a chiropractor, you say, well, how much more would you need to earn to actually make a difference or a dent in the principal of your student loan or your mortgage or your building, whatever your debt is, your consumer debt, which is just mind blowing. Like, amount of it's 20 debt. to 30% interest. Yeah. Mind blowing. Mm -hmm. Stop spending on your credit cards. Like if you don't have cash to do it, trust me, trust me. Like I, and the people that I know that are 20, 30, 40, $50,000 in debt on their consumer credit cards, you know what they're buying? Crap. They're buying stuff. They're buying stuff for their kids. They're buying they're going out for dinner. They're going out for dinner. Mm. And and again, you know, part of us feels entitled to live a lifestyle we can't afford. And that's again, like I said, that's not a chiropractic condition. That's a human condition. And it's because because we're so numb from everything else. It's just it's how we numb ourselves. It's one of our numbing mechanisms. But it's but at night it sits on your chest. It just, it just does. And so. It's one, of the, it's one of the secrets that nobody talks about, and it's one of the, the things that in order for you to really thrive, you've got to get a handle on it because it does chip away at your esteem. It chips away at your relationships. It chips away at your ability to build your practice. It just chips away at you, and well, it's that, something that you control. It doesn't have to control you. Mm -hmm. 
on uh, on on the on the podcast I did with uh, Jonathan Gold, you can look back at the old ones as well. He, he said that's a great way uh, for uh, for wealth creation is paying off debt because, like, if you're paying, you know, say seven, eight, ten, any bigger percentage interest, and you're paying that sucker off, you're that's you can't get an investment of, of that big. Like, it's hard to get an investment of that big. So that's like real money that you're saving by paying that off. And I, I don't know if you've ever done mortgage calculators before, uh, where if you just bought a brand new house and then you say, oh, okay, I'm just going to add a hundred bucks a month on my mortgage payment. And then you amplify that for the 20 years and then you see how much you save. It's like insane. Or you go from single payment to bi-monthly. Like those things, like just by slightly accelerating the payments, yeah. you save a huge amount of money down the road. And, and really at the end, we want to have the promise at the end of the price. The amount of freedom yes. you have at the end when you have no debt, like you're, you're at the part where you, you, you just can practice because you want to practice. You can do things you want to do. You do stuff because you want to do it. Um, it just, it's just insane. The amount of off you want to take time off. You tie it back to the profession. You stand up for your rights in the profession. You do all the things that you can't do when you're being strangled by bills. And when you're being strangled by bills, you can't do any of that because you're terrified. Mm -hmm. And that that's not a freeing place to be. <laughs> that's such a, it's a little bit of a heavy topic at Christmas time, eh? Merry Christmas. <laughs> Actually, but, but this, what, what else were we going to talk about it? Christmas time and look at your, I'll just pretend it's not chiropractors and that we got it all together. Look at your practice members. January, they come in destructive. You know why? Because they spent more than they earned. Yeah. So money, money so emotional for people. But then it just leads to, to, to disease because we can't talk about it. So this is the time because it's elevated because we're buying stuff we don't normally buy and we're doing going to parties we don't normally go to and we we have children that we we want to have this experience and so we we buy all this stuff right you know so it's this is the time really where it's it's almost it's elevated or illuminated so this is the time i mean you actually in where we live there's now starting you know there's ads about like be careful what you're spending. And you know, they they have like community service and social engagement ads on TV so that people can kind of start to go, Oh, like, do I need to buy that at Christmas? Like, do I really need to, you know, and they, people don't want to say I can't afford it, you know, cause it's that's limiting, but like, you can't, you can't So like, or I choose not to buy. There's a big difference. It, it's really funny because I mean, we over the last five years now are in that place where we, we, you know, we don't really need to do anything that we're doing anymore, which is bad. It's this freeing place where we don't lay at night, just, you know, can't breathe, which happened for us for a long time. So it's really interesting because what happens then is you no longer, it's a big difference saying I can't afford it to I choose not to buy it. So, you know, that's, that's the big joke in our office where, you know, cause I'm super like frugal in some capacity. So I just can't stand spending money on sticky notes and highlighters and, so I go to the, I love the dollar store and, and our practice members or they'll comment on my clothes or it, I don't spend that much. On, like I seriously, like I'm a deal finder. Um, that doesn't mean I can't afford it. I, I just choose not to spend my money there. Well, and I find too is that when I, yes, I, I have a bunch of Louis Vuittons, but I choose to spend it there. So it's, it's this weird, you know what I mean? So, but that's my values. Don't send me hate now. You, you spend it somewhere else. So that's, that's the difference because in the brain, when you have a, I choose not to buy it versus I can't afford it. Oh my God. It is, there is something that happens in that moment where you have freedom to do whatever you want. And the energy is just about the money. It's not about the money. It's that energy that that gives you when you're free of all of that. Well, and I think too, it's the reason why you buy it. Because the funny thing is when I couldn't afford stuff, I more wanted to buy stuff. And yeah. then, that, and now when I can afford stuff, I choose not to buy it because before when you're buying something, you're trying to fill that no need or numb, yeah. or numb yourself in yeah. a temporary moment. And then later you're like, I don't really need it. I'm not gonna, yeah. I don't really want to do it. Right. So, okay. That was uh, that was the number three. So that was a good, three? Oh God. What yeah, no, I know. So what number was, four, what's number four? Number four is people have a hard time learning how to scale their practice. So this is like when you start off and you know, you, 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 uh, you start cranking it up and then all of a sudden now you need more help because in order for you to serve more people, you need help to decrease the amount of time so you can get down to be like just adjusting and to educating and then have a nice team around you to help to support doing all this stuff rather than being like a solo doc where you're basically doing everything to cleaning the toilets, to answering the phones, to adjusting. Well, I, 
I would say that in the, in the experience of time, this is just the podcast on small to scaling, scaling your business. I mean, in the shift, we, we, we have the three, we have building, scaling, and contributing because building is the, is the first base where you get your practice to a certain level. And all of a sudden you're like, Holy crap, I need some help here. So whether you had one CA, no CA, two CAs, now, now we've got tech CAs. Now we've got the legal shifter CAs. Now we've got managers, lead CAs. We've got the chiropractors really just honing in on what they can do, basically how our office runs. Then that's the scaling part of it, right? And then the contributing part is once you get to that certain level, you can contribute back to either another chiropractor, associate, the profession, uh, you know, communities in your group. You start to go, you start to go there. So it's a really a matter of again determining number one, what what do you want, mm -hmm. and that you, in order for you to serve more people, you can't a one man, one woman show. There is a ceiling to that. Again, if you want that, awesome. I'm not talking about people who want that. Most people don't want that. They want more than that. And so there's there's a skill set that comes with learning how to scale and how to then manage people and where your finite energy goes it goes less into the practice per se and more into the people who are going to run the practice for you. So that's that's what I can say about scaling in a 30 seconds or less. Well, and I want to just ask one more question too, because sometimes we have to see, see people drop back to scale again. Because what happens is at their current their current people on the team, they're at that certain volume. And then when you start the growth phase, like there a lot of times team members don't like that and they're not yeah. on with you. So sometimes you have to drop it back. So maybe just talk a little bit well, about Well, actually this. that's what I think a lot of people don't realize is they have an inefficient office with a bunch of people. Yep. So a million chiropractors, a million staff, massage therapist. Okay. But it's inefficient. It's not profitable. And now they want to scale beyond that. And the whole team rolls up. Well, they weren't in, they weren't efficient. So to scale well, you got to go back to the building phase because you should have, we call scaling like the champagne tier. And what we find is most offices that are bigger actually have a champagne tier, but the full, top cup is not at full. So it's half full and all the other cups have a little bit of champagne in it versus if, you know, at a wedding, it, you know, if you fill the top cup of champagne, it fills the next two and those two fill the next four and those four fill the next eight. That's how scaling is supposed to work. If you don't have that, that whole, that whole champagne um, tiering system falls apart. Mm -hmm. And you have to go back to the one champagne cup. Yeah. And then you can scale from there. And what we found in a lot of the offices that tried to scale when they were that inefficient champagne uh, tier, they, they, it all fell apart because they weren't efficient to begin with. They just had a bunch of people. So yeah. having a bunch of people does not make an efficient, profitable business. Yeah, and then if you scale too fast, a lot of times it just cannibalizes the chiropractor, the main chiropractor's practice in the first place, and then everything becomes less efficient. Yeah. So our goal is always to make sure, you know, primary chiropractor, you're you're thriving, yeah, and, and you're 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 giving her and you're efficient and you got your systems down, and then we start to add on. Yes. Any, any more top tops on that? Nope. Any more ideas on that? Are we on just down to number five? <laughs> yeah, number five is people's community of support. Oh, that's the same as number four, I think. Similar to, like, similar to what we just talked about with number four, is that we find that as, as people evolve, what we found is that the community of support around them changes. And so I just like to put that nicely, which means sometimes entire teams quit, sometimes relationships blow up, sometimes friendships blow up. Um, and that's, that's something you can't anticipate necessarily, but you need to be aware of because we, we spend a lot of time, what we found is in the scaling aspect of business in particular, we found a lot of the, the leaders trying to get their community of support to come along with them on the scaling journey, mm -hmm. not realizing that they didn't want to, they had no <laughs> desire to, they were happy exactly where they were. And so their community of support, they it, they were trying to get them to be something different than what they were. So your community of support, because we're, we're connected creatures, whether that's your team, whether that's your family, your friendship, your social network, your peer group, your community of support and the way they support you creates the exact results you have today. And when you start getting different results, many people in your community of support don't necessarily resonate with that anymore. So your job then is not to go try and make them resonate with you. Your job is to find a new community of support. And they naturally come because they shed off, they sort of shed away in that old community of support. Because then they suddenly turn into the community of sabotage. Yes. 
and they don't mean to, but they just do because they're happy where they are. And so that's your teams, that's your relationships. Um, it's tougher when your concentric circles get smaller. I mean, that's, we already did a relationship podcast. Mm -hmm. So when your concentric circle is small and it's your intimate relationship or your friendships, it's much more difficult, your family, because as you're, as you're evolving, they're, they can turn into the saboteurs of that evolution because they're happy. And, but you have to recognize the people you surround yourself with help allow you to create the current results you have. So when you start getting different results, very few of that same community, unless they're on the same path as you, are going to come along with you. And they change. And for those of you, like in my book, The Underdog Curse, I have a whole chapter on that, on the bonds, all the different bonds you have in your life. And then I, and then there, at the end of that, there's an exercise to do a bond analysis to kind of talk about who are the people who are in your community support? Are they helping you get where you want to go? Are they holding you back? Are they wanting you to stay exactly the same as you are? Or are they trying to guilt you to do something you don't want to do? Good resource. So that's a good resource. So last few things we wanted to talk about was your book. Maybe tell a little bit about uh, the, the exciting project you're working on right now with your book. How much time did we have? Left? We got like, we got 10 minutes. Oh, a book. What do you want me to tell you about your book? It's secret. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then today we're not talking secret. about it. I have a secret book coming up. Yes, <laughs> I'm, pro I'm writing a book. You can tell that by through my enthusiasm, how exciting this is for me. It's I am my, I was called by the person who's helping us write it, the reluctant hero. And I emphasize the word reluctant. It's not my thing at all. Um, but I am in the process of writing a book for really for the general public. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a chiropractic, actually there's kind of two books. So this one is not a chiropractic book, much to the dismay of many, you know, there's a lot of chiropractic books out there. I, you know, chiro chiropractic is part of who I am but it is not about chiropractic. I mean, obviously much of what I've learned and the principles we live by are really universal and not chiropractic per se, but it really is a, is a, a tool uh, to get the work that I do and how I do it uh, out to you know, your community, in your office, for your practice members. Uh, that's my ideal target market or people who are under care. It doesn't have to be you know, chiropractor staff, your community, your practice members. Um, the hope is that by September 2019, I have something to, to give to the world and we'll see. That's all I have really about the book. Well, and you got, if we got a, a, another one to your chiropractic book called. So uh, there is, Brandy. well, I guess it's chiropractic. It depends on how many of, of it is chiropractic specific, but I mean, I, for those of you that don't know, I, I created a fairly large organic following on my private page for chiropractors, um, cleanse my list. Pretty, pretty good. Still in the process of calling, calling it a little bit and, and. Cause you're at your maximum. Yeah, pretty happy with my list privately that I have. Um, and just, I get a lot of organic feedback on my posts. Every morning um, I get up, I have coffee, and every single morning for the last, well, consistently for the last three years, every single morning, I don't think I've missed a morning, I've written a Facebook post. And it's, it's not contrived, I don't plan it, I don't sit down and do my week of Facebook posts, I just write whatever is going on for me that day whether something's happened in practice, whether something's happening with, with people I work with, what I'm thinking about periodically, I'll throw in just my personal stuff. So yes, there's lots of stuff about the dog and other stuff on there that's not relevant, but, but, um, and anyway, so, so many people have screenshotted it and saved it and used it for staff training. And that was crazy that many people asked me to put it in a book. And so that book will be coming out hopefully March, 2019. Yeah. Um, it will be Facebook wisdom by Brandy McDonald for chiropractors called sipping on brandy. And, uh, yeah, so that, that's, that's going to be the chiropractic book for chiropractors and their staff. Um, lots of my analogies are in there. Yeah. So we'll, uh, that, that one's a little bit different than the ones coming out in the fall. So two, two totally different, um, themed, um, books. Yeah. Cool. And to tell a little bit about the events, we talk about community support. Let's, uh, let's talk about how. Oh, yeah. The ship has a few events coming up this year. The first one coming up in February, which is the uh, Valentine's weekend for love called the Shift Unplugged. This year, we're going to a model. Uh, we have two different types of live events with the Shift. One is called the Shift Immersion Day. The other one is called the Shift Unplugged. The Shift Unplugged is a stay and play event. So that means, uh, if you don't know, stay and play, it's, um, it's content, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of community. So we, yes, we're going to do some content on the Saturday. We're going to do some teaching. There will be some of our shifters sharing. 
We have a lot of activities we're going to do. It's all about enhancing or shifting the conversation, giving you some tools. You don't have to be part of the Vitality Shift to, to come to those events, but it's, there's also pool time, margarita time. You bring your kids, go, go to the kids' activities, go into town, bike, hike. We want as much downtime as we want as much uptime. So that's the stay in place. That's happening in February 14th, 15th in Phoenix, and the registration is up for that. Um, At trueconceptseminars.com. That's where you can find the information. And then uh, May, uh, June 1st, actually, but what? I guess it's that last weekend of May. We have to leave in May to get there. Is our ship unplugged Gold Coast, Australia? And that's the same as Phoenix in the sense that it is the same place for Australasia. And we're in Kingscliff, which is just outside the Gold Coast, 20 minutes outside the Gold Coast Airport. And it's a beautiful resort. Called, and we're, we've just oh, nailed down the room. What? Pepper, it's called Pepper's Resort. Peppers, yeah, Peppers yeah, yeah. Resort. Resort. It's gorgeous. It's got these rooms where you can share a plunge pool between two rooms, or you can stay in an apartment, or you can stay in a regular room. Um, we've just secured the room for that. Registration will be up shortly for that particular shift, same place. So we're looking forward to the same place. Are going to be really cool because they're really um, activity orientated, where the immersion day is super content orientated. So the shift and plugs are, are really about. Um, giving you tools. So we've got all these activities that we do to that practice. are experiential to practice communication, to create your own analogies, to talk about how to handle objections. So of course the shift is themed throughout it and, and we do have speakers from our shift program sharing, but you don't have to be part of the shift for that. And you don't have to be part of the shift for the immersion day, but the immersion day is really the shift program taught in one day. So that's the difference between the two, where the shift unplugged is not really our content taught in one day, but it's really taking it and helping whoever is there communicate chiropractic in the life model through activity-based teaching. And Developing also, wisdom. <laughs> yeah, wisdom, and yep. basically group-based masterminding. So those are cool. And then uh, the Immersion Day probably is going to be in November. We haven't sorted that out. It looks like it's going to be back in the UK based on feedback, but we'll I don't want to say that for sure because we'll, we'll hold on that and see. So And, and then we, of course... Right, the Transformers Mastermind we got. And then the Transformers and, oh, Mastermind. What? We had to shift it because we had it in June, but we had to shift. move it. Don't say shift and we're in a different sentence where it doesn't make sense. We had to change it. We had to change it. I was like, shift? What? what? Yeah, the Transformers. So uh, more details will come on that, but with that is September 6th and 7th, which is not the long weekend. It's the weekend after the long weekend in Toronto, Ontario. That is not, it doesn't really have anything to do with the shift. It has everything to do with the work that I personally do and the, what the book is going to be about, which is personal transformation work. And we do a lot of working through, um, you know, emotional barriers, uh, you know, physiology change, goal setting, outcomes, getting you to the next stage, whatever that looks like, getting past barriers. So that one, that's the, that, is nowhere near registration that's an application only process we only take eight people and it's myself you and dr peter Kevorkian. we co-facilitate that day and a half um it's almost like a retreat i guess it's the best way i can i can call it so yeah, that's going to be then we got lots of other travel in between and we've got uh some other programs coming out with our ship so 2019 is going to be a busy year do you want to talk a little bit about the your our facebook group or like our, our gathering of canadian chiropractors in canada yeah, I guess so this will come out in a couple of weeks. I get because we have nothing else to do. Um, I created. A, <laughs> uh, we're having some challenges against uh, against our brand here in, in Canada, similar to Australia, similar to the UK. Um, what I found is that many chiropractors are alone, and they don't know that they're they don't know that they're not alone. They also don't know what they can do in their own province and what they can do across Canada to significantly make a difference. Um, I believe that we're not going to unify this profession. So don't send me hate mail. I just believe that we're not going to, we have fundamental differences between us and the others. Um, the, the problem is the others are trying to take away the way that we practice. We're not trying to take away their style of practice, but we certainly don't need our style of practice being infringed on. And we have basic rights as chiropractors and we, those rights are being infringed on and we need a collective voice um, to first of all, support chiropractors who feel like they're alone because you're not. Um, and two, to empower chiropractors who are generally disempowered to do something. And it can, there are little things somebody can do that will make a massive difference. And then there are huge things that people can do. The huge things only really 
you know, look to about 10, 5% of the people who actually do that kind of stuff. Yeah. The other 95% of people want to do something, but they don't want to do that. So then what would they do? And the Canadian Chiropractors Group was formed by myself and Dr. Craig Hazel, who was in Ottawa. And uh, we're close to a thousand members. And really it's an education, empowerment, information and action group uh, for only Canadian chiropractors that are licensed and practicing in Canada and practicing in our brand, which is keeping the nervous system in chiropractic and we believe and, and believe and know that there is evidence to support the fact that the adjustment impacts the nervous system, that distortion in the nervous system impacts somebody's well-being and overall health and overall life. And with that, we know that we have impact on that beyond pain. So that's where we sit today in the group. And uh, it's only been a couple of weeks and we're pretty happy with the response and i'm we'll just we're you know I, I never get too attached to an outcome but i'm excited to see where it goes from there we have guardians with every prop for every province identified and those guardians are responsible for keeping all the provinces up to date with what's going on as we're supporting one another what's happening in different provinces and we that's our group together as, uh, as well as the admins with craig and i and we just hope to inform and support canadian chiropractors in protecting and promoting our brand of chiropractic Mm, awesome. So, in closing, you have oh, chiro chiropractors out there, <laughs> chiropractors out there that are in their car, they're driving, listening. What kind of words of inspiration would you like to leave them with for today? Uh, if you got through this whole thing, you're I'm impressed. <laughs> okay, because like, I'm pretty sure your commute to work is not an hour. So, like, that's impressive if you got through this entire podcast. Oh my god! Words of wisdom going into 2019. I think our top five learnings. I think again the 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 thing I would say is that the reason that we, ne we don't really know what it is that we want is because we don't know who we are. Mm -hmm. And I would say that the mastery of one's life is really to start to identify who you are as a person first, then as you know, all the other titles you have. And as you do that, it gets easier then to identify what it is that you really want. And then when you identify that and it's aligned with who you are, you, you are willing to do the steps that you need to to get them and then you find you get different results. So that would be my advice. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Cool. Thanks, well, I, I hope uh, everybody could take those five learnings and help to implement that in their practice to make uh, 2019 an amazing year so that you can get out there and crush the curse. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you receive value from this episode, please take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. If you know a fellow chiropractor that could benefit from this message, please share it with them. Because it's my goal to provide you with great content, please contact me if you have any questions at drdonmcdonald.com or find me on Facebook. I look forward to hearing from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out.